If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Do you know what this is all about? Do you know why we're here? To be out. This is out. And out is one of the single most enjoyable experiences of life. People, you know how many people talk about we should go out? This is what they're talking about. This whole thing, we're all out now. No one is home. Not one person here is home. We're all out. There are people trying to find us. They don't know where we are. Did you read? I can't find him. Where did he go? He didn't tell me where he was going. He must have gone out. Seinfeld really rubbing it in our faces. It that hurts. It stung a little. It was this was a triggering watch, I gotta say. I was really excited to do this episode and to for it to open with him being like, no one's at home. It's well, like, <laughs> and also the whole conversation I thought was, oh, how times have changed. We don't wear complete sweater suits anymore. But now it's like, oh, how times have changed. We don't go outside anymore. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, it was quite the opener. Um, Well, we should probably introduce ourselves. Hello, friends, and welcome to TV Watch Repeat, a podcast brought to you by The Dip. We are two TV lovers who are set to revisit some of the most iconic, the best, the most memorable TV pilots of all time. I'm Allison, and I am a TV-obsessed entertainment editor and co-founder of The Dip, and I am joined by Kate. Yes, I'm also a co-founder and editor and TV obsessive. We are. You can't just steal it all. <laughs> I'm going to steal. And I love cats. That differentiates us. And um, Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. Um, and today we are talking about the 1989 pilot of Seinfeld. Yeah, and I figure we can just go straight back to the beginning now when we talk about this because there's a lot of backstory here, um, starting with Jerry Seinfeld himself. So I also want to mention a few different sources that we went to to get some information about this. So first and foremost, there is a book called Seinfeldia, which is all about kind of the Seinfeld universe, but it goes really deep into the writing of the TV show and what went into actually making it. That's written by Jennifer Armstrong, who happens to be a very good friend of mine. And I mentioned the book, not just because she is a friend, but because it is a very, very, very entertaining book if you love Seinfeld and was also on the New York Times bestseller list. So I'm not the only person who loves it, but we've got that. We've got uh, a New York Times article from the 1989 where uh, it was labeled a single comedian is returning to his room. Roots, and then an EW article in 91, Jerry Seinfeld's True Comedy. Um, I also consulted the Buffalo News for a 1990 article, and uh, Mental Floss has some great little fun facts that were great to peruse too. So, you know, just starting off by uh, thanking those folks. Um, Can I throw in the Seinfeld DVD box set too? <laughs> oh, did you listen to the DVD commentary? I was just, no, 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 no. I was just watching um, a lot of like the, you know, like the little special extras that they put in D- when, when DVDs were a thing. Wait, you did know, you watch this on DVD back in the day? I did not day? watch. No, 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 no. But they are they have since made it to the internet. Oh. The clips. I mean, so, I guess that's good for like the pres- preservation of the information. However, I kind of like the idea of like the DVD being the sole owner of this certain material. I don't think like Seinfeld should never it. be on DVD. Seinfeld, if the, Seinfeld being on DVD feels like it is like, fe- that feels like sacrilege to me <laughs> you think it should be on cassette a hundred percent or like vhs uh or just like never digitalized even like watching it seinfeld on hulu felt bad wrong i felt wrong 
like what are one of those like phonograph or something like yeah. the ones in the old day when with the big horn and you you crank the thing um yeah it does feel a little I off, only want to see my Seinfeld on TBS reruns <laughs> that's true 6 30 every day on TBS right after the Simpsons uh tune in and sit down and enjoy your your night before you have got to change the channel when according to Jim comes on <laughs> but uh <laughs> According to Jim, is not even on TBS. Well, it probably is reruns now. But anyway, so let's go back to Seinfeld himself. So Seinfeld was born in Brooklyn. Of course, we have this New York sensibility to the what he does. And so, um, but he grew up actually in Long Island. Uh, and he was really well known for his super relatable style of comedy, as we know, that continued into his career. Um, he was inspired by people like Alan King and Robert Klein. And he said he would study the Ed Sullivan show every night. Um, but I think what's kind of, notable here with Seinfeld is that he also came of age during a time when think about like, yes, we had George Carlin, but we also had Rodney Dangerfield. You had this very like big type of comedy where you play characters. And he has also said in interviews back then that he wanted to do quote unquote regular jokes, which is funny that that was something that people could actually understand that like, oh yeah, you don't see regular jokes. You see joke book jokes is what he said. And you know, now we don't have like Kindle joke books anymore like what is a joke book we don't it, it basically was something that's a little more broad and a little bit more obvious like a Rodney Dangerfield type character um you know we see that like obviously if you watch Marvelous Miss Maisel you also see this with Jane Lynch's character too like that was sort of a little bit more of the um attention getters back in the day but he came and he had these jokes about you know grape nuts like you know, you go into the store and you buy grape nuts. There's no grape. There's no nuts. What's the story there? And using that and these just very like banal things, he was able to create a uh, career for himself. Wow. That was a great impression. I, you know, I, I just don't want to gloss over it. it. I could try it even, I could try even bigger, but I feel like, you know, maybe What's people the don't What? <laughs> yeah. Can you do it? No, I can't. I, it's like, uh, What's you already have to be fired up about it before you even start talking. You gotta be a little more nasally too. It's like, you got grapes, you got nuts. <laughs> but there's no grapes, there's no nuts. What's the deal? What's the deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he managed to break into the mold and he started appearing more on um, Tonight's Show was one of his big breaks. And then he would be on Letterman as well. And then um, became popular enough that NBC came to him and said, we want to do a show with you. What are your ideas? And he said, I have no ideas. And that's where Larry David comes into the picture. Yes. I mean, this is a, a perfect concoction of like two people whose comedy is like exactly my style, which is Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and we do know that like when Larry and if I, if I may, Larry and Jerry like started working together, they created a 90 minute special that was supposed to air on one weekend in place of SNL. Mm -hmm. And so, so the idea and the genesis for it, I, I found a few different sources and this is me going a little bit too deep on what the exact story is, but there are some conflicts. So I feel like I have to point them out. So one is that there's a report that they were goofing around in a Korean supermarket. And that's when Larry David came up with the show's premise. And then I also read that Larry David and him were in a diner and they came up with the idea there. But then he also said that he was having coffee with a friend and they came up with the idea there. So the question is, where did they come up with the idea? I, I It feels like one of those things where you would remember, like, where did Seinfeld come from? Like, what was the moment? But I kind of wonder if because, and, and we'll get into this, so much of it was like, not only based on, Seinfeld's own sense of humor and comedy, but also some people that they associated with. For example, Kramer was based on Larry David's neighbor, Kenny Kramer. Um, and we'll get into the name change and everything. Um, right, right. Well, so I mean, first even talk about Larry themselves, because they didn't know each other for a long time, Larry and Jerry. Right. And so they, when they did finally meet, they noticed that they were both obsessed with like the smallest possible issue is what Jerry Seinfeld said in a Reddit AMA. And that's sort of like where it came from. And so even though the show has been known as the show about nothing, that's actually not what they intended it to be at the outset. And he said in that same AMA that he just was surprised that it, it is sort of 
you know, become the, the conversation of like Seinfeld's a show about nothing. That was an episode that they did, but that's not what they intended. Initially, it was supposed to be about a couple of friends, a comedian and a manager sharing French fries at a diner and talking about the things that sort of inspired jokes. And I think that like the reason the reason it like did work so well and and it's similar with Curb is that like while it is like the show about like about a shirt or about as we see in this pilot literally just like the modern day text message like analyzing a text message like it was so relatable that it's it is eventually what kind of like hooked people so much and I think that that is like I don't want to call Jerry Seinfeld the every the every man's comedian but like I think that we all find humor in such small things and never kind of see that represented in like stand-up comedy which is you know at one point it is such a huge point i'm sorry which is such a huge point in this show that that's kind of what landed it into like the homes and the hearts of so many that ended right. up you know and watching it every day it's what made it so groundbreaking too i mean it was so new that you know the networks themselves didn't really know exactly right. what it and so yeah. when they commissioned this this the seinfeld chronicles as it was first called they put it on uh, snl's time slot and they didn't want to do anything with that after that they shopped shipped it to, to they shopped it to fox and fox didn't want it and then there's one guy his name is um warren littlefield warren littlefield yeah i had oh, rick did... ludwin rick ludwin <laughs> wait i don't know i guess i kind of jumped the gun i don't know what you're gonna say oh okay so uh, so you know when they didn't have any anywhere to go Rick Ludwin who's an executive who is like beloved by the comedy community and he died last year and you can see like all this outpouring of love for him like he was really big with um you know Conan and especially you know with the whole when Conan left there was a whole controversy and he was involved in that um and he was on the right side he was on the Conan side um and uh and like John Mulaney like loved him too and everything so he canceled a Bob Hope special in order to have money to be able to pay for four episodes to put on late night and it's because the Seinfeld Chronicles was on late night that it was able to be successful because they got to do whatever the hell they wanted and nobody was watching them so they basically got to be as creative as they wanted to be they got to put whatever jokes they wanted to be and like you know this show about the most banal things would not have been able to exist if you had a bunch of tv executives coming out and and trying to go after it and in fact because when the executives did look at it like there was I, there were comments from some that called it quote unquote to new york and to jewy <laughs> And then also uh, they like focus grouped it and the focus group itself was also just like, I don't, I don't understand what's interesting about, you know, watching people do their laundry and um, all that, all those comments from the focus group, they actually ended up putting on a piece of paper and hanging it in their uh, bathroom afterwards as like a, you know, a fun, like see how far we've come. A good encouragement. It's like a, a Pinterest quote for the ages. Right. Um, one thing Wait, I but did, who's, who's Warren Littlefield? Yeah, I was just going to, I was just <laughs> going to get into Warren Littlefield. So when they did make the pilot, um, I guess, according to the, the DVD <laughs> box set, if you will, um, the network execs, they had no idea what they were going to do with it. Like they were like, should we make this? Should we not make this? And little Littlefield, <laughs> Warren Littlefield said, um, what the hell, let's try a pilot and see what happens, which you've got to kind of like madly respect considering what this turned into, not just like a comedic, you know, institution when it comes to television, but also um, an endless fount of money. For, uh, yeah. We're all involved. <laughs> the series has made $4 billion through February of 2017. Wow. Four billion, and Jerry Seinfeld himself took about two hundred and sixty-seven million, including syndication, by the end of the run. Oh, and he's definitely still cashing those checks as they come in. Mm -hmm. But should we talk about the cast too? Please. So, uh, in the cast, we obviously have uh, Jerry, George, and Kessler to start, who would become Kramer. Yeah. Elaine was not in the pilot, so that's something we should note: is that she was not in it, and she actually didn't know that there was a pilot. She said until 2004, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. She said, "Like, oh, I finally realized there was a pilot, so I had no idea I wasn't even in it." But um, also in the box sets, and she also set. has never seen the pilot um, because she is she's superstitious, so she's never even seen the pilot. 
But okay, so we had uh, Jason Alexander was cast as George, of course, but they apparently wanted this other comedian named Jake Johansson that he was the first choice to play the character. He turned it down. And I wonder what he thinks about that today. Uh, but other considerations for the role, I think were really like David Allen Greer is one that's totally out there for me. And Nathan Lane. Yeah, like I, I, Nathan Lane, I could even see a little more than David Allen Greer. Like I, I get like David Allen Greer is a little like nerdy and like, you know, out there and everything, but he's just so not George. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Paul Schaefer of Letterman's band was also considered for the role because he looks so much like Larry David. Um, and then with uh, Kessler turned Kramer, Tony Shalhoub was the person. Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> and now Elaine, like we said, didn't come into the play. But once um, she did, just like little fun facts for later in life, the other people considered for the role were Rosie O'Donnell, Mariska Hargitay, Patricia Heaton, Amy Yasbach, and Megan Mullally. And Mariska is actually in a later episode where she is auditioning to be in uh, George and Jerry's show about nothing. So it's kind of like an interesting, fun callback there. Yeah. And it's also fun to hear where like all of those people landed. Like obviously Megan landed on Will and Grace and I think Mariska is doing okay on okay? SVU. <laughs> I, you know, it, we'll see. We'll see. I'm worried, how I'm worried about her. I'm a little nervous. But uh, there, GQ actually did an article about, it was an oral history of all of Jerry's girlfriends. And, um, you know, what I thought was funny about it was that, like, Terry Hatcher said, uh, I do remember Jason Alexander telling me that good things happen for people who guest starred on the show. And that's definitely true because you had oh, to. Yeah. Kristen Davis, Deborah Messing, Lauren Graham, jo J Jennifer Coolidge, Jane Leeds, Lori Laughlin. Well, eh, Lori Laughlin has had a. I mean, a big things problem. did happen. Big things did happen, <laughs> and uh, Anna Gunn, and the and that's just like just skimming the surface of the people that appeared on this. What's what's really interesting about that to me is the fact that it worked really well for Jerry's girlfriends. And then there was a Seinfeld curse for the main four. But anyway, we should also go back and talk about the original Elaine who was mm -hmm. played by Lee Garlington. And in the pilot, she is Claire. Claire. And I mean, we'll get into it as we talk about the pilot, but I, I, I'm going to just say it. I am fine with losing Claire. Yeah. The, the energy wasn't there. She kind of was a little bit more of a, uh, I don't think caustic is the right word, but like sarcastic and just yeah. like down on her luck waitress who doesn't want to be there. It was a little bit broad. Like it, it felt like it was a broad character and in a way that, you know, everybody in the show is broad. like Kramer is an example of being like the most broad sure. character ever, but there's still something like grounding about most of the main, like the main three, I would say are a little bit more grounded. So like, we don't need another person to kind of be bombastic or I don't, but she wasn't bombastic, but you know what I mean? We don't need another person to be like a stereotypical sitcom character that, you know, you cheer when they enter the room. This is decaf. Where's the orange indicator? It's missing. I have to do it in my head. Decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. <laughs> very challenging work yeah and and I also think like looking at where where a, the character of Elaine went I think that it it would have been difficult to like was Claire gonna only be in scenes when they were at the diner like it would have felt limiting um Littlefield my man Warren Littlefield <laughs> where's um, Warren Littlefield today I don't know I should we look should up get him where, on the phone we should is. have him call up and, and weigh guess. in on Peter Gallagher's eyebrows um I I guess accounts differ on on the replacement of Claire to Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, Littlefield says that the character's occupation wouldn't work in the gang, uh, which I, again, like I just said, I can see that. I can see maybe why it would feel too tethered to one location. Suddenly, why is like the waitress hanging out with them at Jerry's apartment? You know, there, there's complications there. I get it. Gilmore Girls made it work, but I get it. <laughs> um, but others have said that they dropped her character for a character with more sex appeal. Um, oh, interesting. And I also read that it was because she was rewriting her lines. Yeah. So I read that too, that Jason Alexander supposedly said in an interview with 
on the Kevin Pollack chat show um, that Lee Garrington allegedly um, rewrote her scene and gave it to Larry David, who obviously didn't appreciate that. Well, um, I mean, especially because, you know, if you read about if you read Seinfeldia and you read about what the writers go through when they when they write for this show, it's like it, it's a tough thing because you have to get Larry or Jerry's approval on everything and like attention in order to get anything through and it was so stressful that even one of the writers actually quit all show business altogether and became and went to med school and became a doctor because it was too stressful to be a writer for Seinfeld so he became a doctor but um but like so I can't imagine if you are an actress and you go up and you try to I mean, I'm sure there's sexism involved in there too, but oh, you know, yeah. there, but that, it, I don't think that uh, Larry or, or Jerry really took too kindly to anybody trying to rewrite their material. No. And I mean, Jerry Seinfeld disputed that, but you kind of have to wonder, I mean, it's coming from Jason Alexander. It's not coming from like a PA on set. So you do have to kind of wonder if there was a little, if it was ill-received. And I, I mean, as somebody who receives edits on things and has been, has been given a lot of feedback, like it is tough. And I think when, when you're Larry David, I mean, you just got to assume that Lee Garrington somewhere is like after the the curb boom and the Seinfeld boom is like, okay, maybe I didn't need to rewrite my scene. <laughs> she has said that in the like the first four seasons, she didn't care. It didn't bother her. And she said for some reason that season four, it started to bother her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when the money started coming in the door oh, for real I'm sure. for these people. Um but then also we've got uh, Kramer, and like as we mentioned, he was named Kessler in the pilot because Kramer is based off of Seinfeld's real life neighbor, whose name is Kenny Kramer. Um, and they were worried about the legalities of it, but they didn't have to be because when all said and done, Kenny Kramer said, "I'll just take one thousand dollars, and you can use my name." Which you would think that meant that hey, he was totally just like you know taken advantage of for the fact that he created this iconic character more or less and wasn't able to reap the benefits but he has a successful tour in new york city where he just basically takes people around the sites and so um you know he's he's milking he's doing the kramer thing which yes. is taking an opportunity and turning it into another opportunity which is much less successful <laughs> yep hey you can teach a man to fish and he'll eat for life or you can just give him a fish and, and give it a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he, he, he was taught to fish in that situation. Do you um, know that and, there's also somebody else that is, uh, supposed to be George beyond Larry David? Is it Larry Miller? No. Larry okay. Miller, the, the actor. Yeah. Larry Miller was, um, I guess was this like DVD commentary. This one I was reading according to the DVD commentary. <laughs> But supposedly in the casting. So you're eventually going to be like, I read on the back of the DVD in the description <laughs> notes. Look, look, nobody needs to fact check this, but I'm pretty, I'm like 99.999% positive that Larry David's friend, Larry, <laughs> um, he, he was, he was a friend. He was auditioning for George and George, or I'm sorry. And Jason Alexander was like, there's no way in hell I'm getting this role because his friend is auditioning for it. And eventually they actually went with Jason Alexander. Um, hmm. so nepotism is dead. They, they're actually very similar actors though. I could see it. I could see it working with both of them. Uh, easily. But the story that I have is that there's somebody that Seinfeld went to school with that's named Michael Costanza. And he oh. sued the show for $100 million for privacy. And then he wrote a book about it. So how much does he care about the privacy? But anyway, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to quote him and you let me know if you think that this is an, each, each piece of evidence he gives is enough to make it clear that this was based on him. Okay. George is bald. I am bald. Okay, that's, um, I'm going to pass on that one. George is stocky. I am stocky. Okay, no. George and I both went to Queens College with Jerry. But so now when you start adding all of them up, there is like a little bit more, like on their own, it's a weaker argument. What's the next one? George's high school teacher nicknamed him Can't Stand Ya. So did mine. Okay. And his George. last name is Costanza. Yes. 
That was okay. big, that was big in the in the episode, one of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, George has a thing about bathrooms and parking spaces. So do I. I mean, the bathroom doesn't lie. What so do you, you think, think he had a case? I think that he had a case. Can you sue for likeness like that? Uh, well, well, as a lawyer, um, yeah, you <laughs> know this, what right? I know about this. You know no. about intellectual property. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't sue for that. He sued oh. for privacy. So he said oh, it was okay. invasion of privacy. So privacy, I'm going to say that's a no from me. Uh, but I mean, I in think your legal has, opinion, <laughs> in my so in I took one business law class sophomore year of high school. And I'm going to say it's, I'm going to have to dismiss it. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about the actual pilot itself now, the Seinfeld Chronicles, yeah. which was renamed later because there was a show called the Marshall Chronicles, which bombed. So they decided to call it just Seinfeld. So uh, one great did you know about it is the very first conversation they have about buttons in the first opening moments. Yes. See, not to me, that button's in the worst possible spot. The second button literally makes or breaks the shirt. Look at it. It's too high. It's in no man's land. You look like you live with your mother. Are you through? Is also the final conversation they have in the finale nine seasons later. See, now to me, that button is in the worst possible spot. Really? Oh, yeah. The second button is the key button. It literally makes or breaks the shirt. Look at it. It's too high. It's in no man's land. Haven't we had this conversation before? You think? I think we have. Yeah, maybe we have. That's a nice little um, hat tip that I remember. So I, I should just say like Seinfeld is actually one of the shows that we've done so far that I have not seen in its entirety. Um, which is shocking again, because I love Larry and I love Jerry and I <laughs> love Julia and I, it's all my friends together. Um, I think I'm just a wee bit young for this one. So I just miss, I just missed it on TBS. Um, but I do know the finale and I recognized it immediately um, watching the pilot, which I had never seen before. I had only watched the finale live and the rest of the uh, episodes I saw in syndication, mm -hmm. which makes it complicated because I feel like I've seen every episode. But then, you know, I'll talk to my husband, who is also a big fan, who watched them in syndication in Pittsburgh, and he'll mention an episode that I'd be like, I've never even heard of that episode before. And then I'll mention an episode, and he's like, Well, I never even heard of that before. So, you know, when shows are in syndication, sometimes they only get certain uh, episodes. And so there's probably a whole swath that I have not actually seen, including this pilot. This is the first time I watched the pilot. Yeah. Which was, um, also it was crazy because you and I had this conversation, I think ever since it's always sunny where we just need to make sure if there are multiple names for a pilot that we're watching the same thing. And, and this pilot has like 75 names. Which so are? I mean, the show in itself was going to be called the Seinfeld Chronicles stand up. <laughs> just stand up and the Jerry Seinfeld show um the pilot episode was it, it was called the Seinfeld Chronicles it's also been just called pilot which is pretty standard even if a show does have a name or good news bad news good news bad news that's a terrible title it's it's terrible and I also don't see how it applies to the episode no it's like early edition or something <laughs> do you know what early edition is I know early edition what is it it's <laughs> the guy who would get the newspaper like the day before it happened or something and would have yes. to like save the world. Yes. And who was that guy? Um, oh, come on. That handsome brunette man named. Aren't you a Friday Night Lights fan? Kyle Chandler. I yes. knew it was okay, Kyle Chandler. You. All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, cut That's another some of that. Cut some 90s. of those pauses, please. I would. We, we should do early edition. <laughs> I used to watch early edition all the time. It must've been on, I feel like I watched early edition around the time. I don't mean to stray too much from the show uh, Seinfeld, but right around the time that I was always, always watching touched by an angel for some reason too. I like feel like it was also around the same time as like Lois and Clark. Yes. Or Clark I definitely was watching Lois and Clark. Yes, Lois and Clark. What's weird is for some reason, I remember early edition being about Superman 
So that definitely, did he work? Because he worked at a newspaper too. I mean, he was a Superman in a sense. That is a good point, actually. I didn't think about it that way. No, he didn't work at the newspaper. He didn't? No, he just received the newspaper. Oh. <laughs> so maybe I'm like, I actually just had a, this Because I was about to go on this whole thing about like how he's actually Clark Kent and he's a Superman. It's actually a spinoff of Superman, but it's not. I just had this conversation with... Um, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, and we got into an argument because I was convinced about that early edition. About early edition, you were just talking about early edition. Yeah, somebody else. yeah, I was, and I was. We got into an argument because I remembered it being Superman who got the newspaper early. <laughs> It's like the Mandela effect. I'm like, oh, he got the newspaper. Superman got the newspaper a day early, and then he went and saved the world. And I was wrong, but there's something about they must have been like back to back that like it just mushes in my mind. It, it's it's like Shazam, right? Like there's no there's a Kazam, yes, and there is a Sinbad, but there's no Shazam starring Sinbad. Right, 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 right. But, you know, Superman is not too far off from what we're talking about because Jerry Seinfeld did have a Superman uh, uh, obsession throughout the whole series. Yes. So anyway, we should go back to the pilot. We should go to the pilot. (laughs) Um, So it started with that immensely triggering comedy set. And I was actually surprised how much comedy there was. in. There's a lot more. A lot more. And I think that that they were trying to really lean on the fact that like, oh, this is kind of like a stand-up show with like little vignettes in between. So they're showing me on television the detergents getting out bloodstains. Is this a violent image to anybody? Bloodstains? I mean, I mean, come on, you got a t-shirt with bloodstains all over it. Maybe laundry isn't your biggest problem right now. You gotta get the harpoon out of your chest first. His act itself, like, I mean, they were, they were good jokes. He's, he's a really good comedian, and you kind of see how he's able to take things like really old hat things like the sock like that that is missing from the laundry and what I thought that was hysterical yeah and he turns that into a whole little routine that's actually a really funny spin on it that seems really fresh spin I'm full of laundry jokes that feels fresh socks are the most amazing article of clothing they hate their lives they're in the shoes with stinky feet the boring drawers (laughs) the dryer is their only chance to escape and they all know it they do escape from the dryer. They plan it in the hamper the night before. Tomorrow, the dryer. I'm going. <laughs> you wait here. Um, so I guess we could do a really quick recap of this episode. And I, I, I almost want to just recap every episode of Seinfeld because it actually is so much easier than like the very convoluted ones that we have done previously. But so basically the episode is about Jerry getting a call from a female friend, Laura, who says she is coming to town for work and they should see each other. And she has to come to show, she has to come for work and maybe they'll see each other. Maybe they'll see each other, which is like crucial. So I just screwed that up. And (laughs) she and George and and Jerry kind of debate whether or not she's doing this uh, as just like to be friendly and courteous. Had to? Yeah. Had to come in? Yeah. But had to come in? Yeah, but maybe we'll get together? Had to and maybe? Yeah. No. No. No, I hate to tell you this. You're not going to see this woman. What? Are you serious? Why Why did she call? What do I know? Maybe, you know, maybe she wanted to be polite. To be polite? You are insane. All right. All right. I didn't want to tell you this. You want to know why she called? Yes. You're a backup. And it turns out Laura comes. She starts. She wants to stay the night. She wants to stay the next night. And Jerry doesn't know how to read all of it. And you you find out at the very end, like, Laura is engaged. Jerry is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, what is Jerry? What is Jerry? Jerry just exists. Yeah, Jerry just exists. Jerry just fine with it. <laughs> he does not, he doesn't have, like, like, I, I actually thought his reaction to her being engaged was unlike what it would be in future seasons. Like the, he was, he was definitely toned down a little bit more yeah. in this. And you were know, actually thought that George was like, just as George is, except George was kind of playing his manager and was in yes. real estate, which like his character was in real estate, but then like he gets all these like different jobs throughout his tenor of, of the show. You know, I, I forgot to clean the bathroom. So what? That's good. Now how could that be good? Because filth is good. 
What do you think, rock stars have sponges and ammonia lying around the bathroom? You think they have a woman coming over? I got to tidy up? You know, look, in these matters, you never do what your instincts tell you. Always, always do the opposite. This is how you operate. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> and Kramer, meanwhile, who just kind of popped in like a couple times, had a dog. Which had a dog. Was, that was new. And um, I think they tried to represent him as a shut-in because like, mm-hmm. Jerry has a line that says something like, you've been out of the building in yes. 10 years. You know, I almost wound up going to that game. <laughs> yeah, you almost went to the game. You haven't been out of the building in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you could tell that that was like kind of like the comic, he was the comic relief that was going to come in and like kind of uh, make the show feel a little bit more broad and standard yeah. for the viewing audience. Which they were cautious about too. I, I, I read on, on my DVD commentary. I mean, he is um, like, he's great. What's crazy to me though, is like he, Michael Richards is the only person to get an acting Emmy out of Seinfeld. Which, like, I think a George, and I mean, Jerry is a shit actor. Like, let's, like, you know, get that out of the way. And I think that he would admit to it, too. He is not a good actor. He's very yeah, it's funny. Not, yeah. But he's, like, but you know that he's act, he's trying the whole time. His timing is really good. But George, Jason Alexander, is incredible. And as I get older, I appreciate his character so much more. I mean, I, my favorite one as a, as a child was, was Michael Richards, because I also loved the movie UHF, which is this, like, old um weird al comedy um which he's fantastic in but i was obsessed with him but george is such a great character such a great character better than all of them wow um i i really enjoyed kramer and i think that they i had read again in my dvd commentaries um that they didn't want to make him they didn't want to make kramer like this cliche quirky neighbor which i think we see you you it's interesting i mean i think it existed long before kramer but then after seinfeld it definitely became like this trope of like the weird neighbor that always popped by um for some reason the only example i can think of is beans and even stevens but (laughs) There are many. Um, and I think that uh, they did a good job in a, in down the line, kind of not making him not as cliche, um, but also kind of also like a, a you see that- quirky neighbor. Anecdotally, I would say Kramer, you know? Yeah. I mean, you see that also like manifest in, in current comedies too, where like in the office you have like all these other characters that are quirky on their own that have like kind of a weirdo vibe to them. And so like that kind of is a mainstay throughout like all of TV history afterwards. But, um, but I also don't think they necessarily pioneered it. I mean, going back to I love Lucy, the the quirky, funny neighbors were something that was always, they were always there. So I feel like this just made it appeal more to an audience that wouldn't really care as much about like the little, you know, um, the little tiny like conversations about laundry in between. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I do want to just shout out a couple things. One of them being Jerry's Mets outfit. I found very attractive. The sweatshirt on top of the sweatpants. Yes. I was trying to place what the hell he looked like. And I can only think of like the elf on the shelf for some reason. To me, it reminded me of like John Travolta. um, Like perfect era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even like, bear with me, the dance scene, like the jazz scene in center stage when like they're doing um, the Michael Jackson, 
<laughs> is it Michael Jackson? No. What is it? You mean in Broadway Dance Center? Yeah. No, that's when they're doing Red Hot Chili Peppers and not any, none of them no, are okay. wearing a Hear me suit. out. Hear me out. Hear me out. It's not, it's the vibe, Kate. And I think, I think you're taking it a little too literal. It's the vibe. It's like something about like a fitted fleece. <laughs> And I just thought he looked really great. I think more men should be wearing uh, sweat sweatsuits these days. I mean, I got good news. More men are wearing sweatsuits these days. My I husband just, has not worn a pair of jeans in six months and is just trying to go as long as he can without it. When we go out, when we do a go eat, like eat outdoors, he will wear sweatpants. I mean, as he should. I don't even know what a, a restrictive fabric would feel like on the bottom half of my body anymore. Um, but I thought he looked really great. And I loved that he seemed to be in like, I couldn't tell, you know, I, it's like I, the color. I didn't know if it transferred when it went digital. So I couldn't tell if he was wearing the co Met, Met's colors, um, the orange and blue. It looked kind of red I and think blue, it's, but it's red and blue. I don't think yeah. it was. I don't think it was intentionally Mets color. Well, but... it worked for him regardless, and I, um, I just How... I encourage. I encourage it. I. How about Laura's outfit? Oh God, the... Laura, the vest. The vest. There was because there mean... was a point where he touched her back, and it touched the silky part of the vest, and I shuddered. <laughs> but she definitely like it. It it predated Elaine, but like Elaine dressed like this. For, it's like it's baggy. Yeah like vest, uh, long skirt, like basically just eliminate any ability to see your figure at all, which yeah. I'm fine with. Like, I'm not, I, I don't think that like this should have been, you know, well, it's a woman that's put her in some tight, like bandage right. dresses or anything. So it, it felt very natural for the time, but like, Oh boy, what ugly clothes it was that era so had. Bad. Like it was Elaine's bad. wardrobe is terrible. Although maybe if we re maybe if we looked at it today, it actually wouldn't seem as horrible, but I just remember throughout the entire tenor of the show, I was just like, Oh, Elaine has the worst wardrobe I've ever seen in my life. I, um, I do, I wonder how old they were, are supposed to be in this pilot. Well, he was in his, uh, mid to late thirties. So, oh, okay. I think that's kind of what they were shooting for going for. Yeah. Um, I thought that the whole thing was so accurate. I mean, it's, it, you just have to modernize it. And there are like the Seinfeld, um, 3000, I think it is. Seinfeld which today is, is a Twitter yeah, account. Yeah. Where they kind of, um, they like tweak things to update them. There's a sex in the city one. Um, and I thought like it got, all this needs to be is a text versus a phone call. And you die, you, you dissect every single thing. I mean, there is a whole, like maybe close to like five to six minute scene of them just analyzing words and emphasis on what word. And, and it, it's exactly like the war room with your friends when you're texting somebody, um, and I kind of, I, I loved it. And I thought I was like, wow, this is shockingly accurate. Um, yeah. Even it, though it was from 1989. Although like, I do think that it is a very nineties show in its core and that's not just the wardrobe, but it also is. Oh, was it the phone that he walked around his oh, entire I mean, apartment? Well, yeah, of course that those kind of details, but I do think that the nineties was such an era where, you know, there wasn't as much awareness or anything about anything else happening outside of the United States or anything. So everything seems super hunky dory. Everything was like totally fine. And How they just walked to the gate and just sat there waiting for her. Yeah, I know. And those kind of things you're like, huh, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, to, in this day and age when there's like so many other things to be concerned about, I just don't think that kind of this energy of like, first of all, like watching bad people, because they are bad people. They're not as bad as like, it's always, always sunny crew, but they're, they're not good people, but watching not good people, uh, talk about the minute details of everyday life. I don't know would play that well. And actually Jennifer Armstrong oh. talked to this, talked to slate about this very thing, um, a few years ago and, you know, said that it was just like a really innocent era. And it was like a show that is obsessed with her quote with this level of detail about modern upper middle class life without any awareness of the greater world. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like, could Seinfeld be made now with the constant horrible news about terrorist attacks and gun violence? Like, like that is a question. Like, can you kind of talk about like the, the, the minute things about the day to day when you have all this craziness happening? And I could see an argument also where it is like, absolutely. That's actually something that I would love to actually watch. Escapism. Right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And because um, it is, but it, it was so supposed to mirror real life in the sense where, you know, it was like real life, but like just weird enough that it's interesting to watch. And mm-hmm. so if you reflect weird life today, but then again, I, I think that if there was an episode about them in quarantine, it would be hilarious, you know, like they would find a way. And I'm guessing probably Larry David is going to do something on the next Curb Your Enthusiasm about that very topic. And it's going to be amazing. I mean, Larry David invented quarantine before quarantine was a thing. <laughs> so. so maybe I actually, I actually kind of rewind and I, and I dispute myself. <laughs> I, I disagree with you, Kate. I actually think that it would last today. You convinced me. I convinced myself as I talked to myself. <laughs> I, I, um, I agree. I think that there is like, I I think what would make it work right now is the escapism of it. I mean, we saw that in with Emily in Paris and I'm not at all comparing Seinfeld. It's it's apples to apples, really. (laughs) I mean, in a way it is because you have. Take me through that. Okay. So you have your main person. Okay. Who the show is named after your titular character. Great. Um, and then you have the like core four around them, the core, the core four, three people, Elaine, Kramer, uh, George, and then um, Camille, Gabriel, and Mindy for Emily in Paris. You are in a bustling metropolitan. <laughs> um and the the location is very much a character of the show, of course. Um, and it, you live in a bubble. It exists in a bubble. It's kind of what my point is. Is like every, people. The reason I mean, people make can make fun of it as much as they want. The reason Emily in Paris was as successful as it was is because nothing on the outside was a problem, you know. And they just kind of lived in this little bubble of Instagram and you know, interpersonal relationship problems. And that's exactly what Seinfeld is in just a, in, in this episode, for example, in 1989 way. And so the other thing that Seinfeld and Emily have in common is that they both don't really hit abroad. They don't hit abroad. Did Seinfeld not hit abroad? No, apparently, uh, you know, according to Jennifer Armstrong also, she says that it's, it's too cultural and word-based to make for an easy translation. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Because there's think... so much rhythm to the jokes, right? Like there's yeah. like, like even thinking about like a, a joke from the actual pilot, which I actually thought didn't make sense in Jerry's delivery. And I know that because it sounded like Larry David wrote uh-huh. it, which was the, you know, you can't over die and you can't over dry. Overdry it. You can't over dry. Why not? Same reason you can't over wet. <laughs> see, when something is wet, it's wet. <laughs> Same thing with death. Like, once you die, you're dead, right? Let's say you drop dead and I shoot you. You're not going to die again. You're already dead. You can't overdie. You can't overdrive. That, first of all, that'd be really hard to, you know, translate with that. Because nothing's going to be one-to-one on that. But, um, but I also, I don't know. I felt like that was, like, that's such a Larry David line. Like, it's involving, like, death and all this other stuff. And I was like, I'm kind of... It d- didn't sound like Jerry to me, but that's just a little. Aside. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I think the like you said, like the rhythm of of the comedy, and I think there's like I'm just trying to figure out how to phrase this properly. <laughs> there's like um, any earnestness, the 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 comedy will completely go over your head, mm-hmm. and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. Um, I don't understand why would the sock not want to come out of the wash. <laughs> Like, that's kind of like, I think that is like, suddenly you are not even ever going to get close to understanding or appreciating the show. And to be fair, some, if this is some, some people don't like this type of comedy. I am not one of them. And I don't have any interest in making friends with people who do not. <laughs> You're not welcome. I have a Larry David shirt here, uh, like five feet away from me. And I wish I would have worn it. Um, even though this isn't his show, I'll, I'll wear it for the curb episode. Curb, yeah. Keep it, keep it in your pocket. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, another thing that was not as appreciated as it should be was the music itself. So the intro mm. music and the outro music were all made custom for each single episode. Cause it had to match the rhythm of Jerry's jokes. So it was actually like a pretty, you know, laborious process. <laughs> So, 
you know, this show becomes the big massive hit that it became, which is also surprising to me that it became such a big hit because I did think that it was such a New York centric yeah. show. It's so quirky. And I, I just, I can't imagine the entire world watching this, but the entire world watched this show. So, but event that, you know, there was a little bit semblance of like that rye wit was gone and it became a little bit more like Jerry's like, Jerry sensibility a little bit more, um, which still was very successful. And so uh, by the time he. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, in just like the exasperated way, because I I guess his comedy is like exasperated, like he's always worked up about something, but it's never going to like it's going to ruin his day, but not his life. It's a little more cartoonish, like he was a little bit more like I think a sock joke, like that's a good indication, like that's a very cartoonish joke and it's less about the banalities of life. But, um, you know, definitely like because like Larry David has this really like dark thing about him, like he does have like a darkness and having that go away made it so that Jerry's show felt a little bit more sitcom-y. But Mm -hmm. eventually he wanted to leave after the nine seasons that they did um, because he is obsessed with numerology. And he, everybody told him to do 10 seasons and they offered him $5 million per episodes to return. And he said, uh, no, I don't want to do 10. Why does everybody want me to do 10? 10 is lame. Nine is my number. And then he found out that nine also means completion in numerology. So he was like, well, perfect. And now he's, you know, um, listening to the goop podcast and, and Marion Williamson and everything. I'm sure. Um, Shall we jump into our five questions? No, I still have other fun facts. Oh. <laughs> I've got like a million of things left. When it finished, it was one of three shows in TV history that was at number one at the end of its run. Can you can you name the other two? Friends? No. Oh. Am I going to know them? You know them, but it's going to take all day. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Criminal Minds? No. <laughs> Um, what's it start? Just give me one and it starts and then I'll have one guess and that's, it's over. Uh, one starts with I, one starts with a, I love Lucy. Yes. And, um, uh, um, uh, a, uh, a good place, a good place. <laughs> Andy Griffith show. Oh, I was going to say mash. Cause I feel like mash is always the answer to any type of a TV question, but, um, okay. Andy Griffith. Yeah, so 76.3 million viewers watched. And to give you context as to how many people that is, first of all, that was 58% of the people watching TV total that (sighs) night. Um, For some comparison, 52 million watched Friends and 19.3 million watched the Game of Thrones finale. So 7.3, like literally everyone in the country is watching. This this. is Seinfeld, right? Not Andy Griffith. No, 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 this has become an Andy Griffith podcast. Just can't wait till we do that pilot. Um, But... That night was the night that Frank Sinatra died. And people talked about how when he was rushed to the hospital, there was nobody in the streets. There was no traffic because everybody was at home watching Seinfeld. Wow. It didn't help because he still died. (laughs) A new... (laughs) I mean, New York taketh. Am I right? Right. So iconic things leaving... Which is so disappointing, though, that the finale was as disappointing as it was, that, like, everybody was tuning in. We all were excited. It, it does not rank on the highest list of best finale. finales. Um, it kind of was just more of a clip show. And I guess there was another scene that Larry David wanted to film afterwards, but they just never got around to doing it. So, you know, they kind of went on their way. Everybody tried to, uh, you know, get other careers outside of – Seinfeld and had problems. Uh, you know, Julie Dreyfus had watching Ellie. Uh, Jason Alexander had Bob Patterson. Michael Richards had the Michael Richards show. And so there's all this conversation about the Seinfeld curse, but it was eventually broken by the new adventures of old Christine, which was a success for Julie Dreyfus. And when she won her Emmy for that, she said in her speech, curse this. <laughs> I, um, I loved that show. And then didn't they change it to just like the new adventures? New adventures of old Christine. No, but then she left it and they kept it as just like the new adventure. I don't know. Am I making that up? (laughs) Is this Larry Miller all over again? (laughs) Which to be fair, I fact checked and I was right. Um, So do you want to also know a couple of storylines that got cut? A hundred percent. From the whole series. From the whole series. Yeah. 
Uh, so Frank getting into mer- medical marijuana. So okay. Frank, Jerry Stiller. Yeah. Uh, the soup Nazi is actually a Nazi. <laughs> Which would have made the original Snoop Nazi even more upset because I actually found a New Yorker article about the soup ban before Seinfeld even came out. Um, But afterwards, he just he hated Seinfeld and he said that we shouldn't joke about Nazis. So I think that he would not be a he wouldn't have loved that. He would not have loved that. (laughs) Um, I love this storyline where there's a woman who leaves out key details and stories that they nicknamed the prompter. Yes. Okay. Uh, Kramer works on human skeletons for museums. And, uh, the last one here on this list is the gang goes to Mexico and does nothing. <laughs> I would have loved to see them in Mexico. Yeah, no, I mean, they're like, I would have watched all of these episodes, all of them, all of them. Um, and there actually was a real Festivus mm-hmm. that a writer and his family did, but he also said it was weirder than what we actually saw on TV. He said, uh, he told the New York Times in 2004, there was a clock in the bag and, he, and a bag and he didn't know why. That's something that was involved in the best of this. Just leave that there. Do with that what you will. Uh, right. Um, and the last thing that I kind of want to talk about, was, and this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I just have so many. No, I like, love it. I like was researching about this, but um, you know, Susan, who plays George's wife. Yeah. So... Jason Alexander had talked since on Howard Stern about why she was killed off. And I guess the reason was because they couldn't really figure out how to play off of her. And she just, you know, he said that she just didn't have instincts for each scene. And so it would just like misfire and they would all get really frustrated. Um, And then uh, he said he would adjust and then it would change. But then it was Julia Dreyfus's turn uh, and they go, you know what? It's fucking impossible. It's impossible. And Julia actually said, don't you just want to kill her? And Larry said, kabang. And that was it. Wow. They were really like, I think it was like, they were they not were holding back tight. with the women on the show. No, they weren't. And they were also just a tight foursome too. Like I think yeah. they learned how to act off of each other so well yeah. over that period of time that anyone else coming in couldn't penetrate it. Right. And even in the GQ article about the, the women of, of Seinfeld, yeah. uh, Jennifer Coolidge talked about how like somebody said, oh, there's an after show party, like come and join us or whatever. And she came and she went there and it was just basically the foursome. And she just said like, we were sitting there and we just felt like we shouldn't be there. And, and it's like, not like they were mean or not that they were bad. In fact, like by all accounts, everybody was pretty nice on set. Maybe not yeah. necessarily to one another. Like there are some like, you know, um, there's some like examples of discord between each other, but like to guess stars and everything they were just super duper nice um but I just think they just they had it down like they knew what they were doing yeah I mean that makes sense that's like uh you're always going to be on the outside of the joke and and the three four of them just kind of were always on the inside right that's I I would penetrate it though I would penetrate it you'd be able to penetrate it oh 100 percent. they would would not kill me off Um, I think I, I, here's the thing. I think that I am, I'm not going to say I am like Jerry Seinfeld, but I really like the things I have problems with are so not like so small in terms of the, the, the importance of life. And they keep me up at night. For example, last night, I couldn't stop thinking about how much I hate when adults pretend like they didn't know Santa wasn't real. And when, when like somebody will say like, oh yeah, like my, I, my four-year-old, I think is, is getting on to the fact that Santa's not real. And then an adult will go, what? Santa's not real. What? And it's like such a, it's so overdone. It's not funny. I, I never know how to respond. I'm like, I'm not going to play this game with this back and forth with you. You have to just kind of laugh it off. And I hate it so much. And I think that I think I could maybe, I wouldn't rewrite Larry David. I think I would be able to throw in some jokes. So like you basically like hate like the pleasantries of, of life. Like when you have to like, yeah, like people, to, pleasantries, yeah. however you want to put it. <laughs> okay. Let's get on to our five questions before I just completely, um, I, I show my true colors. Um, so, so what are the five questions? We have five questions every week that we go through in terms of uh, kind of understanding the impact of the show, how well we remember it, et cetera. So um, the first question is, how well do you remember it? The second one is, when were you happiest slash saddest? 
Um, third is, did it set up the series? Fourth, would you keep watching? And the fifth, the most important, the, the only way you should be ranking and rating life and television specifically is, was it more entertaining than the OC? So number one, I, I, do, I mean, I, this is the first time I watched it. I never, first time I watched it too. Yeah. So yeah. And, and no, I did not remember it. <laughs> um, I, in terms of when I was happiest and saddest, question number two, um, I was happiest when Claire was not on the scene and I was saddest when Laura's vest was on the scene. I, my, the best scene I thought was like with the whole conversation before Laura gets off the plane where they're saying like, okay, well, what if she does like, what if she shakes my hand? What if she puts a hand over my hand? And they're, they're analyzing everything yes. about the possible body language and the implications of it. Uh-huh. All right. If she puts the bags down before she greets you, that's a good sign. Right. You know, anything in the, in the lip area is good. Lip area. You know, a hug, definitely good. Hug is definitely good. Sure. Although what if it's one of those hugs where the shoulders are touching, the hips are eight feet apart. That's a great- you know how they do that? So, uh, you know, a shake is bad. Shake is bad. But what if it's the two-hander, the hand on the bottom, the hand on the top, the warm look in the eyes? Hand sandwich. Right. Well, it's open to interpretation. And she comes up and she puts her hands over his eyes and then they just like kind of shake hands and go <laughs> together. Hey. And George is like, that and wasn't George's in like, the manual. <laughs> it's so good. Like that, that's just like the, the best moment in the whole thing. Oh God. That's so cringy. Like the secondhand embarrassment I get from watching people greet each other. And when somebody goes in for like a hug and then another person goes in for a handshake and you're like, I could just die right Oh my here. God. You know what okay. I can't do? You know what I cannot deal with? And like, if I, I I have to change subway cars, if it happens is if there are two people that know each other, that recognize each other and have to have a conversation with each other, I cannot sit there and watch it. Like, I mean, unless they're like best friends and they're just like, whatever, but like, it's usually like an office situation and like, Oh, just like the cringeworthiness of it, of them knowing that each one of them doesn't want to be in the conversation. They want to go away. And it just makes me so upset to watch. I can't deal with it. One time I got on the subway and across from me, I mean, across from me was one of our coworkers who like I was friendly with. Like if I was in the elevator, I would talk to her and I did like a wave, just like a weak little wave and a weak smile. And then I saw her approaching like to come over to talk to me. And I put my headphones in and I ignored her for the rest of the ride. Oh yeah. I mean, it was the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Like if I had to rank my decisions, me ignoring this girl was the best thing I could have done for myself. It's self-care. It's self-preservation. But it's also for her too. Cause she, she doesn't want to be. I was saving her. She, she was putting herself in a dangerous situation. Also like I talk a lot. You don't want to get into a conversation with me. You don't, you don't. Um, well, one time I was walking down the streets of New York and, uh, this older woman, her name's Adele she must've been 110 and she couldn't, she just like, she was a slow, she was a slow walker. Um, and she wanted help to Starbucks. So I was, I started walking like arm in arm with her and she, uh, kept, she just kept, uh, engaging me in conversation and questions. And it got to the point where I was doing the same thing as you as well. I just felt like I was trying like, you know, I like for, especially with old people, like I have a a soft spot for them. And I want to make sure that they're taken care of. So I walked with her and it took us to get two blocks, probably like 30 minutes. She was, I mean, it was that slow. Um, and she got to the end where she turned to me and I just kept answering her questions and asking her questions about her life and her grandchildren. She turned to me, she goes, you sure do talk a lot. And then went into <laughs> Starbucks. Oh my God. And I literally was just, I felt like a slap in the face. Here I am like thinking, I'm like, wow, this is good karma. Like, I'm glad I could do this for her. I would want somebody to do this for my grandmother. And then she's like, you sure do talk a lot. <laughs> and all I can think about is that she walked down for 30 minutes down third Avenue and was thinking, God, I can't shut this girl up. I hope somebody else walks by <laughs> that'll help me. <laughs> Did the pilot set up the series? Uh... Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it did, like, obviously there was some definite big things missing, but, yeah. um, but I think that like the spirit, the spirit lived on. Yeah. I mean, you kind of get an idea minus Elaine, what everyone's deal is. Um, would you keep watching? Yep. 
Yep. Um, <laughs> was it more entertaining than the OC? Uh, 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 I'd say yes, just for the historic oh. nature of it too. I think that like, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty great show. Yeah, I agree. I think that there are it's apples not, and oranges. Yeah. It's not like perfect. It's not like there's like OC is like perfect, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. I agree. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a wrap for Seinfeld. So that brings us to our next episode, what we are watching next week. And that is going to be the pilot episode of South Park. But until then, we will leave you with this. Go out. You get ready, you pick out the clothes, right? You take the shower, get all ready, get the cash, get your friends the car, the spot, the reservation. Then you stand around, what do you do? You go, we got to be getting back. Once you're out, you want to get back. You want to go to sleep, you want to get up, you want to go out again tomorrow, right? Wherever you are in life, it's my feeling, you've got to go. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.